75, Senator John Tunney, Democrat from California, chairman of the Subcommittee on Constitutional Rights, charged that Mountweather held dossiers on at least 100,000 Americans. He later alleged that the Mountweather computers described as the best in the world can obtain millions of pieces of additional information on the personal lives of American citizens simply by tapping the data stored at any of the other 96 federal relocation centers. I know from my stint with the Office of Naval Intelligence that these dossiers consist of information collected about American patriots, men and women who are most likely to resist the destruction of our Constitution and the formation of the totalitarian police state under the new world order. The Patriot Data Bank is constantly updated so that when the appointed hour arrives, all Patriots can be rounded up with little if any effort. The plan calls for this to be accomplished in the dead of night on a national holiday. The most likely holiday is Thanksgiving, when everyone, no matter the religion, race, or creed, will be at home. The targets will be ripe for the picking after a heavy meal, maybe some alcoholic beverages, and during a deep sleep. There is a traitor in the Patriot movement who provides the secret government with accurate names and addresses of Patriots who will fight to protect and defend the Constitution. My recommendation is that no patriot should ever be at home or in the home of any family member on any holiday ever again until the traitors have been hung and the Constitution restored as the supreme law of the land. Some sources state that Mount Weather is virtually an underground city complete with dormitories, private apartments, streets, sidewalks, cafeterias, hospitals, water purification systems, power plant, office buildings, a lake fed by fresh water from underground springs, a mass transit system, and many other astounding things. Several disturbing facts emerge when one researches Mount Weather. One is the conclusion that a complete parallel government exists at the site. Nine federal departments exist there agriculture, commerce, health, education, and welfare, housing and urban development, interior, labor, state, transportation, and the treasury. Apparently, at least five federal agencies are also in residence. Federal Communications Commission, Selective Service, Federal Power Commission, the Civil Service Commission, and the Veterans Administration. Two privately owned corporations have offices out Mount Weather, the Federal Reserve and the United States Post Office. There is also an office of the presidency. What makes all this upsetting is that there is a president and a complete set of cabinet officers in residence at Mount Weather. Who are they and who appointed them? Where is such a thing provided for in the Constitution of the United States of America? Mount Weather is the operational center 
the hub of over 96 other underground federal relocation centers scattered across the United States. The majority of these appear to be concentrated in Pennsylvania, Virginia, West Virginia, Maryland, and North Carolina. Each of these facilities contains computer databanks holding information, not on enemy agents, Soviet diplomats, or suspected terrorists, but on American citizens, patriots. A list of other files kept at the facilities was furnished to the Subcommittee on Constitutional Rights in 1975. The list included military installations, government facilities, communications, transportation, energy and power, agriculture, manufacturing, wholesale and retail services, manpower, financial, medical and educational institutions, sanitary facilities, population, housing, shelter and stockpiles. The committee concluded that these databases operate with few, if any, safeguards or guidelines. Senator James Aborzek, Democrat from South Dakota, a member of the subcommittee, said, I feel the entire operation has eluded the supervision of either Congress or the courts. Chairman Tunney said, Mount Weather is out of control. Nothing was done by Congress to rectify the situation, however, and Mount Weather remains out of control. Former high-level officials from Mount Weather agree that the base at Mount Weather is much more than any standby government facility or storage center for the preservation of records. They describe it as an actual government-in-waiting. We do not merely store essential information. The facility attempts to duplicate the vital functions of the executive branch of the administration. As stated previously, according to my research, this includes a president and all cabinet members actually in residence. Protocol even demands that subordinates address them as Mr. President or Mr. Secretary. Most of these mysterious appointees have held their positions through several administrations. We just act on the orders of the president in national emergencies said one former Mount Weather official. The Federal Preparedness Administration, known as FPA, in its 1974 annual report stated that studies conducted at Mount Weather involve the control and management of domestic political unrest where there are material shortages such as food riots or in strike situations where the FPA determines that there are industrial disruptions and other domestic resource crises. The report states that the bureaucracy at Mount Weather invokes what it calls civil crises management. Officials who were at Mount Weather and who have furnished us with data say that during the 1960s, the complex was actually prepared to assume certain governmental powers at the time of the 1961 Cuban Missile Crises and the assassination of President Kennedy in 1963. The source said that the installation used the tools of its civil crises management program on a standby basis 
during the 1967 and 1968 urban riots and during a number of national anti-war demonstrations against the administration by the American people. Daniel J. Cronin, who was the assistant director for the FPA, outlined a massive surveillance and manipulation program that is directed against the American population on a continuing basis. The FPA has organized an impressive armament of resources and equipment. Mr. Cronin described in an interview his agency's attitude toward its wide-ranging surveillance program. We try to monitor situations, he said, and get to them before they become emergencies. No expenses spared in the monitoring program. He cited reconnaissance satellites, local and state police intelligence reports, and law enforcement agencies of the federal government as examples of the resources available to the FPA for information gathering. The only document that I was able to find that attempts to outline some of the statutory authority of Mount Weather is Executive Order 11490. It was drafted by General George A. Lincoln, former director for the Office of Emergency Preparedness, which preceded the FPA and was signed into law by President Nixon in October of 1969. Executive Order 11490 superseded Executive Order 11051, signed on October the 2nd, 1962, by President Kennedy. Kennedy's order used the language, whereas national preparedness must be achieved, as may be required to deal with increases in international tension with limited war or with general war, including attack upon the United States. Nixon's order began, whereas our national security is dependent upon our ability to assure continuity of government at every level in any national emergency type situation that might conceivably confront the nation. Nixon has deleted any reference to war, imminent attack, and general war from the order and replaced them with the phrase, during any emergency that might conceivably occur. Nixon's order, which is the one in effect today, allows the government in the form of FEMA to suspend the Constitution for literally any reason they decide to call a national emergency. I cannot find a plan or executive order anywhere which outlines any procedure or allowance for the restoration of the Constitution after a national emergency has ended. This leads to the obvious conclusion that no restoration of the Constitution is contemplated or desired by those in power. In 1975, Senator Tunney expressed concern when he said, We know from what we've heard in the press that 15,000 names were being maintained by the Federal Bureau of Investigation for detention in an emergency. We also know that the Internal Revenue Service had its files on individual taxpayers. We know that the CIA had their Operation Chaos, 
and that the National Security Agency has the records of conversations that have been intercepted electronically. My question is this. Is there anyone, like yourself, General Bray, that is in control of the overall access to this data if it is maintained in a relocation site? And your answer, as I understood it, is no. Then he continued. General Bray, I must say that I still don't know who's in control of these relocation centers. You say you don't have that knowledge, and still we don't know from the three witnesses that we had here today that they had information as to who has control of those centers. I am not at liberty, Bray answered, to describe precisely what is the role and the mission and the capability that we have at Mount Weather or at any other precise location. I firmly believe that our continuity of government program has not provided continuity at all, but has been the instrument for discontinuing open and democratic government, and that the very program designed to protect Americans has actually been turned against us. There's a guy by the name of Buster Horton. He's a member of FEMA, and he's a member of the Interdepartmental Unit, which is empowered in the event of a national security emergency to become the unelected national government, a sort of FEMA secret government, so to speak. A pretext for invoking those emergency measures can be found almost daily in the newspapers. It can be anything from the suspension of debt payments by the high bureaus of American countries to mass runs on United States commercial banks. And that's an issue, by the way, that was being handled personally by the National Security Council and Brent Scowcroft. To food shortages, to the drug war. The whole bit, anything, any disaster emergency declared at all, even including the oil spill from the Exxon tanker in Alaska, if the president had declared a national emergency, that could have triggered it. Any instability in the Middle East. Anything, in fact. And they've already tested their capabilities in April 1984 with Rex 84A. And that was designed to test the readiness of the United States civilian and military agencies to respond to serious national security crises. Now, the executive order that will implement this, the executive order 11051, details responsibilities to the Office of Emergency Planning, or FEMA. It gives authorization to put all executive orders into effect in times of national emergency declared by the president, increased international tension, or economical or financial crises. Note that it covers domestic crises, but does not even mention war or nuclear attack. Now, the only thing that has to happen for FEMA to be able to implement all the executive orders, emergency executive orders, is for the president to declare a national emergency of any type, as long as it's a national emergency. Executive Order 10995 provides for the takeover of the communications media. 
Executive Order 10997 provides for the takeover of all electric, power, petroleum, gas, fuels, and minerals. Executive Order 10988 provides for the takeover of food resources and farms. Executive Order 10999 provides for the takeover of all modes of transportation, control of highways, seaports, and etc. Executive Order 11,000 provides for mobilization of all civilians into work brigades under the government supervision. Executive Order 11001 provides for governmental takeover of all health, education, and welfare functions. Executive Order 11002 designates the Postmaster General to operate a national registration of all persons. Executive Order 11003 provides for the governments to take over airports and aircraft. Executive Order 11004 provides for the Housing and Finance Authority to relocate communities, designate areas to be abandoned, and establish new locations for populations. Executive Order 11005 provides for the governments to take over railroads, inland waterways, and public storage facilities. Now, all of these were combined under Nixon into one huge executive order which allows all of this to take place if the president declares a national emergency and it can be implemented by the head of FEMA, not by the president. The president has already given him that power under these executive orders. All of these were combined into Executive Order 11490, and that was signed by President Carter on July 20th, 1979, and is, in fact, law. Now, remember what North said during the Iran-Contra hearing. He said that they were prepared to suspend the Constitution of the United States. And he said if it hadn't been for their getting caught, that this would have happened. And all that did was delay it. This is what is still going to happen. President Bush issued a new executive order delegating to the director of FEMA powers which were vested in the president by the Disaster Relief and Emergency Assistance Act of 1988. And although the order was described by the White House as simply a technical matter, in reality, the revision delegated to the FEMA director direct responsibility for a large number of items which were earlier only the president's prerogative. And that includes responsibility for general federal assistance, federal emergency assistance, hazard mitigation, individual and family grant programs, and the power to direct other federal agencies to assist in an emergency. And that's the key. All other federal agencies will come under FEMA. Of course, the president retains the power to actually declare an emergency. But as soon as he does that, the implementation of the measures utilized will be transferred directly to the director of FEMA. Professor Samuel P. Huntington drafted for Jimmy Carter Presidential Memorandum 32, which led to the creation of FEMA in 1979. He wrote the 
Seminole Peak, or the Trilateral Commission in the mid-1970s, recommending that democracy and economic development be discarded as outdated ideas. He wrote as co-author of the book, Crises in Democracy. We have come to recognize that there are potential desirable limits to economic growth. There are also potentially desirable limits to the indefinite extension of political democracy. A government which lacks authority will have little ability short of cataclysmic crises to impose on its people the sacrifices which may be necessary. All of Huntington's ideas were rewritten into National Security Decision Directive 47, and that was enacted by President Reagan on July 22, 1982. It identified important areas to be upgraded, such as the nation's industrial base to maintain the national defense. But it nonetheless, and this is very important, laid the groundwork for the secret government's options to institute a police state, and its title is Emergency Mobilization Preparedness. It ordered preparedness measures that involved the waiving or modification of socioeconomic regulations that delay emergency responses and that should receive priority attention. It also specified that preparedness measures that are or may be impeded by legal constraints be identified in the priority task that lays the groundwork for the suspension of the Constitution. This has nothing to do with the right wing, left wing, or any other damn thing. It has to do with the Illuminati taking over this country and joining in the new world order. I give lectures all over the United States. At some point, before, during, or after every lecture, some well-meaning but misguided soul tells me that I have it all wrong, and that it's the Jews, the Catholics, the Communists, or the bankers that are the cause of all our ills. The target group is blamed for everything that has ever gone wrong. Power over everyone and everything is always attributed to this group, whichever group it happens to be at that moment to that person. These poor people are on the right track in that there has been and certainly is a conspiracy to bring about a totalitarian world order. They are completely off track to think that any one ethnic, religious, or financial group alone could ever muster enough power to bring its plan to fruition. One group, you see, would always be opposed by all of the other special interest groups that exist and have always existed throughout history. That is, unless they were all really the same group, the Illuminati, or for some reason, they became unified, the Bilderberg Group. The one-group scenario, except for the Illuminati, has been used effectively to divert your attention away from the truth. It has caused you to fight each other in a manipulation that always leads the real conspiracy closer to its ultimate goal, a new world order. Following World War II, something happened that was to have tremendous significance for the future of all mankind. The intellectuals took note of this happening 
and brought it to the attention of the world power elite. The elite were severely shaken by the predicted repercussions of this event. They were told that by or shortly after the year 2000, the total collapse of civilization as we know it and the possible extinction of the human race could occur. It could occur, that is, if we did not destroy the earth with nuclear weapons before then. They were told that the only things that could stop these predicted events would be severe cutbacks of the human population, the cessation or retardation of technological and economic growth, the elimination of meat in the human diet, strict control of future human reproduction, a total commitment to preserving the environment, colonization of space, and a paradigm shift in the evolutionary consciousness of man. Those in power immediately formed an alliance and set about bringing the recommended changes to fruition through propaganda, mind control, and other manipulations of the masses. The Illuminati's prayers had been answered. What was this event that caused so much consternation and changed forever the future of the world? Millions of soldiers returned from war. The soldiers found lonely, eager women waiting for them. The greatest coupling in the history of the human race occurred. The result was everyone born between 1941 and 1955 and the children that they would eventually produce. It was me and you and everyone who lives today. It was the great worldwide baby boom. It was the culmination of all men's efforts to survive through history. It was modern medicine, better diets, heat in winter, pure running water, and proper disposal of sewage. It was the point in history when the birth rate so exceeded the death rate that the world's population doubled between 1957 and 1990. It was the most wonderful time in the history of the world but it was also the worst. It signaled the end of man's most precious achievement. An alliance of all of the powers on earth, open and hidden, decided that individual freedoms could no longer be tolerated in the interest of the preservation of the human race. They believed the common man could not be trusted. What had been the unfulfilled dream of many individual groups became reality by the concentration of power in the alliance known as the Bilderberg Group. What had been impossible before was now promised. The new world order that so many had envisioned was now a certainty. The first study was made during World War II to determine the impact of the returning soldiers upon the economy. The results mobilized the ruling elite. A second secret study was conducted in 1957 by scientists meeting in Huntsville, Alabama. It confirmed the results of the first. The conclusion was that civilization as we know it would collapse shortly after the year 2000 unless the population was seriously curtailed. Studies were done to determine a method to arrest the population explosion before the point of no return would be reached. It was determined that an immediate attack on the problem would involve two points of intervention. 
The first was to lower the birth rate, and the second was to increase the death rate. To lower the birth rate, several programs were put into motion. The first was the development of positive birth control methods using diaphragms and condoms, foam and birth control pills, and sterilization, abortion, and hysterectomy procedures. These were developed and implemented. The women's liberation movement was started with the demand for free abortions using pro-choice as its rallying cry. Homosexuality was encouraged and gay liberation was born. Homosexuals do not have children. Zero population growth became a hot subject at cocktail parties. Individual freedom, the heat of the moment, religion, and the old blue laws sabotaged these efforts, and while zero population growth became a reality in some areas, population increased rapidly in others. The only alternative left to the world's ruling elite was to increase the death rate. This was a difficult thing to do, as no one wanted to pick people out of a crowd and line them up for execution. Neither did they relish the possible consequences of an enraged public upon discovering that they were being systematically murdered. Of course, a very short but very deadly global war using nuclear weapons upon select population concentrations was contemplated, and to tell you the truth, was not ruled out. The fact that such a population control was even contemplated confirmed the worst fears of those who had participated in the 1957 study. War was put on the back burner to simmer, but may become a reality. In the meantime, something else had to be done that would absolve the decision makers of guilt and place the blame on those who did not lead clean lives. Something that could be blamed upon Mother Nature. What was needed was the bubonic plague or some other horrible but natural disease. The answer came from Rome. Several top-secret recommendations were made by Dr. Aurelio Pacei of the Club of Rome. He advocated that a plague be introduced that would have the same effect as the famous Black Death of history. The chief recommendation was to develop a microbe which would attack the autoimmune system and thus render the development of a vaccine impossible. The orders were given to develop the microbe and to develop a prophylactic and a cure. The microbe would be used against the general population and would be introduced by vaccine. The prophylactic was to be used by the ruling elite. The cure will be administered to the survivors when it is decided that enough people have died. The cure will be announced as newly developed when in fact it has existed from the beginning. This plan is a part of Global 2000. Funding was obtained from the United States Congress under House Bill 15090 passed in 1969, where $10 million was given to the Department of Defense's 1970 budget. Testimony before the Senate committee revealed that they intended to produce a synthetic biological agent, an agent that does not naturally exist and for which no natural immunity could have been acquired. Within the next five to ten years, it would probably be possible to make a new infective microorganism 
which could differ in certain important aspects from any known disease-causing organisms. Most important of these is that it might be refractory to the immunological and therapeutic processes upon which we depend to maintain our relative freedom from infectious disease. Sir Julian Huxley said, Overpopulation is, in my opinion, the most serious threat to the whole future of our species. The project, called M.K. Naomi, was carried out at Fort Detrick, Maryland. Since large populations were to be decimated, the ruling elite decided to target the undesirable elements of society, specifically targeted with the black, Hispanic, and homosexual population. The poor homosexuals were encouraged on the one hand and scheduled for extinction on the other. The African continent was infected via smallpox vaccine in 1977. The vaccine was administered by the World Health Organization. According to Dr. Robert Strecker, without a cure, the entire black population of Africa will be dead within 15 years. Some countries are well beyond epidemic status. The United States population was infected in 1978 with the hepatitis B vaccine. Dr. Wolf Zmunis, the ex-roommate of Pope John Paul II, was the mastermind behind the November 78 to October 79 and March 80 to October 81 experimental hepatitis B vaccine trials conducted by the Centers for Disease Control in New York, San Francisco, and four other American cities. He loosed the plague of AIDS upon the American people. The gay population was infected. The ads for participants specifically asked for promiscuous homosexual male volunteers. Whatever causes AIDS was in the vaccine. The vaccine was manufactured and bottled in Phoenix, Arizona. Many other population controls have been promulgated. The reduction of the world's population to workable levels has been virtually assured. It is only a matter of time. The problem will be to curtail further human reproduction beyond approved levels. To handle that problem, the New World Order will adopt a communist Chinese model of population control. It is the only population control program that has ever worked. The old and infirm have been periodically murdered, and couples are forbidden to have more than one child. Penalties are so severe that families in China with two children are extremely rare. Three children families are non-existent. A surprising byproduct is that Chinese children as a group are treated better than any other national grouping of children in the world, including the United States. Tobacco fields in the United States have been fertilized with the radioactive tailings from uranium mines, resulting in a tremendous increase in the incidence of lip, mouth, throat, and lung cancer. If you do not believe it, just look at the incidence of lung cancer per capita before 1950 and compare it to the lung cancer per capita at the present time. Are those who smoke committing suicide? Or are they being murdered? We have watched the news in horror as story after story unfolded 
revealing that the Army and the Central Intelligence Agency had released germs and viruses into the population to test their biological warfare capability. In light of what you have now learned, you should know that it was really to reduce population. It is a matter of public record that investigations into cover-ups of radioactive leaks into the atmosphere and into groundwater have revealed that some leaks were not accidental, but were purposeful. Some areas of the country now have such a high rate of cancer that virtually everyone who lives in these areas will die other than a natural death. The true extent of radioactive gases, waste, and toxic material, especially cesium-137, strontium-90, uranium mine and mill tailings, thorium-230, radium-226, and radon-222, that has leaked or has been purposefully planted in the atmosphere, soil, and groundwater is far beyond anything you or I can imagine. Every investigation has revealed that the true figures regarding radioactive leakage are much larger than official figures and the real numbers may never be known. Cover-up has become standard operating procedure at all levels and in all departments of government. Do we dream reality, or is reality a dream? The New World Order will eliminate the population threat in several ways. Complete control of individual behavior may be established using electronic or chemical implants. No one will be allowed to have a child without permission. Stiff penalties wait for those who ignore the law. The violent, the old, the infirm, the handicapped, and the unproductive will be killed. Private property will be abolished. Since religion helps to create the population problem, it will not be tolerated except for the approved state-controlled religion which will evolve according to man's needs. Man cannot be trusted to safeguard what little is left in the way of natural resources. Technological development and economic growth will be severely cut back. Man will be required to live like his ancestors. Those who learn to be self-sufficient and can adapt to the absence of many of the things that we take for granted today, such as automobiles, will get along fine. Others will suffer terribly. Man will once again conform to the law of the survival of the fittest. No one is going to like the loss of individual freedoms guaranteed us by the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. I do not like or agree with what is planned. Intellectually, I know that people will not solve the problems that we face unless they are made to do it. That is a sad commentary on the common man, but nevertheless it is true. The New World Order is evil, but very much needed if man is to survive long enough to plant his seed amongst the stars. A paradigm shift and star seed are the only legitimate long-term answers. This is why we have all been so wrong for so long. It never was what we thought it was. Nothing is or ever will be until we learn to live in reality instead of fantasy land. A paradigm shift in the evolutionary consciousness of man must take place. Right or wrong, the world is covered with agents of the Illuminati who are attempting to cause that evolutionary jump. We have not been taken into their confidence. 
It is true that without the population or the bomb problem, the elect would use some other excuse to bring about the new world order. They have plans to bring about things like earthquakes, war, the Messiah, an extraterrestrial landing, and economic collapse. They might bring about all of these things just to make damn sure that it does work. They will do whatever is necessary to succeed. The Illuminati has all the bases covered, and you are going to have to be on your toes to make it through the coming years. We must learn to accept individual responsibility for the world's problems or be willing to live by the terms of those who do. We must learn to love one another, share, deplore violence, and work with nature, not against it. We must do all of this while colonizing the universe. We must be prepared in the process to peacefully meet and deal with an extraterrestrial intelligence. I believe they exist. Can you imagine what will happen if Los Angeles is hit with a 9.0 quake? New York City is destroyed by a terrorist-planted atomic bomb. World War III breaks out in the Middle East. The banks and the stock markets collapse. Extraterrestrials land on the White House lawn. Food disappears from the markets. Some people disappear. The Messiah presents himself to the world and all in a very short period of time. Can you imagine? The world power structure can and will, if necessary, make some or all of those things happen to bring about the new world order. Patriots must not be at home on any national holiday during the day or night ever again until the danger is past. Disregard this warning and you will find yourself in a concentration camp. In the camp, you will be treated for a mental illness called nationalism, common to patriots. This illness is not in the interest of the new world order. Those who cannot be cured will be exterminated. When asked what was in store for the world in the coming years, Henry Kissinger said this, Everything is going to be different. Many will suffer. A new world order will emerge. It will be a much better world for those who survive. In the long run, life will be better. The world we have wanted will be reality. Most of this knowledge comes directly from or is a result of my own research into the top secret magic spelled M-A-J-I-C material which I saw and read between the years 1970 and 1973 as a member of the intelligence briefing team of the Commander-in-Chief of the Pacific Fleet. Since some of this information was derived from sources that I cannot divulge for obvious reasons and from published sources which I cannot vouch for, this must be termed a hypothesis. I firmly believe that if aliens are real, this is the true nature of the beast. It is the only scenario that has been able to bind all the diverse elements. It is the only scenario that answers all the questions and places the various fundamental mysteries in an arena that makes sense. It is the only explanation which shows the chronology of events and demonstrates that the chronologies, when assembled, match perfectly. The bulk of this I believe to be true if... The material that I viewed in the Navy is authentic. During the years following World War II, 
the government of the United States was confronted with a series of events which were to change beyond prediction its future, and with it the future of humanity. These events were so incredible that they defied belief. A stunned President Truman and his top military commanders found themselves virtually impotent after having just won the most devastating and costly war in history. The United States had developed, used, and was the only nation on Earth in possession of the atomic bomb. This new weapon had the potential to destroy any enemy, and even the Earth itself. At that time, the United States had the best economy, the most advanced technology, the highest standard of living, exerted the most influence, and fielded the largest and most powerful military forces in history. We can only imagine the confusion and concern when the informed elite of the United States government discovered that an alien spacecraft piloted by insect-like beings from a totally incomprehensible culture had crashed in the desert of New Mexico. Between January 1947 and December 1952, at least 16 crashed or downed alien craft, 65 alien bodies, and one live alien were recovered. An additional alien craft had exploded, and nothing was recovered from that incident. Of these events, 13 occurred within the borders of the United States, not including the craft which disintegrated in the air. Of these 13, one was in Arizona, 11 were in New Mexico, and one was in Nevada. Three occurred in foreign countries. Of those, one was in Norway, and the last two were in Mexico. Sightings of UFOs were so numerous that serious investigation and debunking of each report became impossible, utilizing the existing intelligence assets. An alien craft was found on February the 13th, 1948, on a mesa near Aztec, New Mexico. Another craft was located on March 25, 1948, in White Sands Proving Ground. It was 100 feet in diameter. A total of 17 alien bodies were recovered from those two craft. Of even greater significance was the discovery of a large number of human body parts stored within both of these vehicles. A demon had reared its head, and paranoia quickly took hold of everyone then in the know. The secret lid immediately became a top-secret lid and was screwed down tight. The security blanket was even tighter than that imposed upon the Manhattan Project. In the coming years, these events were to become the most closely guarded secrets in the history of the world. A special group of America's top scientists were organized under the name Project Sign in December 1947 to study the phenomenon. The whole nasty business was contained. Project Sign evolved into Project Grudge in December 1948. A low-level collection and disinformation project named Blue Book was formed under Grudge. Sixteen volumes were to come out of Grudge. Blue teams were put together to recover the crashed disks and dead or live aliens. The blue teams were later to evolve into alpha teams under Project Pounce. 
During these early years, the United States Air Force and the Central Intelligence Agency exercised complete control over the alien secret. In fact, the CIA was formed by presidential executive order first as the Central Intelligence Group for the express purpose of dealing with the alien presence. Later, the National Security Act was passed, establishing it as the Central Intelligence Agency. The National Security Council was established to oversee the intelligence community and especially the alien endeavor. A series of National Security Council memos and executive orders removed the CIA from the sole task of gathering foreign intelligence and slowly but thoroughly legalized direct action in the form of covert activities at home and abroad. On December 9, 1947, Truman approved issuance of NSC-4, entitled Coordination of Foreign Intelligence Information Measures, at the urging of Secretaries Marshall, Farstall, Patterson, and the Director of the State Department's Policy Planning Staff, George Kennan. The Foreign and Military Intelligence Book 1, final report of the Select Committee to Study Governmental Operations with Respect to Intelligence Activities, United States Senate, 94th Congress, Second Session, Report Number 94-755, April 26, 1976, page 49, states. This directive empowered the Secretary of State to coordinate overseas information activities designed to counter communism. A top-secret annex to NSC-4, NSC-4 Alpha, instructed the Director of Central Intelligence to undertake covert psychological activities in pursuit of the aims set forth in NSC-4. The initial authority given the CIA for covert operations under NSC-4 Alpha did not establish formal procedures for either coordinating or approving these operations. It simply directed the DCI to undertake covert actions and to ensure, through liaison with state and defense, that the resulting operations were consistent with American policy. Later, NSC-10-1 and NSC-10-2 were to supersede NSC-4 and NSC-4-alpha and expanded the covert abilities even further. These actions established a buffer between the President and the information. It was intended that this buffer serve as a means for the President to deny knowledge if leaks divulged the true state of affairs. This buffer was used in later years for the purpose of effectively isolating succeeding presidents from any knowledge of the alien presence other than what the secret government and the intelligence community wanted them to know. Secretary of Defense James Forrestal objected to the secrecy. He was a very idealistic and religious man. He believed that the public should be told. James Forrestal was also one of the first known abductees. When he began to talk to leaders of the opposition party and leaders of the Congress about the alien problem, he was asked to resign by Truman. He expressed his fears to many people. Rightfully, he believed that he was being watched. This was interpreted by those who were ignorant of the facts as paranoia. Forrestal later was said to have suffered a mental breakdown. 
he was ordered to the mental ward of Bethesda Naval Hospital, in spite of the fact that the administration had no authority to have him committed, the order was carried out. In fact, it was feared that Forrestal would begin to talk again. He had to be isolated and discredited. His family and friends were denied permission to visit. Finally, on May 21st, 1949, Forrestal's brother made a fateful decision. He notified authorities that he intended to remove James from Bethesda on May 22nd. Sometime in the early morning of May 22nd, 1949, agents of the Central Intelligence Agency tied a sheet around James Forrestal's neck, fastened the other end to a fixture in his room, then threw James Forrestal out the window. The sheet tore and he plummeted to his death. James Forrestal's secret diaries were confiscated by the CIA and were kept in the White House for many years. Due to public demand, the diaries were eventually rewritten and published in a sanitized version. The real diary information was later furnished by the CIA in book form to an agent who published the material as fiction. The name of the agent is Whitley Strieber and the book is Majestic. James Forrestal became one of the first victims of the cover-up. The live alien that had been found wandering in the desert from the 1949 Roswell crash was named Evie. The name had been suggested by Dr. Vannevar Bush and was short for Extraterrestrial Biological Entity. Evie had a tendency to lie and for over a year would give only the desired answer to questions asked. Those questions, which would have resulted in an undesirable answer, went unanswered. At some point during the second year of captivity, he began to open up. The information derived from E.B. was startling, to say the least. This compilation of his revelations became the foundation of what would later be called the Yellow Book. Photographs were taken of Evie, which among others I was to view years later in Project Grudge. In late 1951, Evie became ill. Medical personnel had been unable to determine the cause of Evie's illness and had no background from which to draw. Evie's system was chlorophyll-based, and he processed food into energy much the same as plants. Waste material was excreted the same as plants. Several experts were called in to study the illness. These specialists included medical doctors, botanists, and entomologists. A botanist, Dr. Guillermo Mendoza, was brought in to try and help him recover. Dr. Mendoza worked to save E.B. until June the 2nd, 1952, when E.B. died. Dr. Mendoza became the expert on at least this type of alien biology. The movie E.T. is the thinly disguised story of E.B. In a futile attempt to save E.B. and to gain favor with this technologically superior race, the United States began broadcasting a call for help early in 1952 into the vast regions of space. The call went unanswered but the project, dubbed Sigma, continued as an effort of good faith. President Truman created the super-secret National Security Agency, known as the NSA, by secret executive order on November the 4th, 1952. 
Its primary purpose was to decipher the alien communications, language, and establish a dialogue with the extraterrestrials. This most urgent task was a continuation of the earlier effort. The secondary purpose of the NSA was to monitor all communications and emissions from any and all electronic devices worldwide for the purpose of gathering intelligence, both human and alien, and to contain the secret of the alien presence. Project Sigma was successful. The NSA also maintains communications with the Luna base and other secret space programs. By executive order of the president, the NSA is exempt from all laws which do not specifically name the NSA in the text of the law as being subject to that law. That means that if the agency is not spelled out in the text of any and every law passed by the Congress, it is not subject to that or those laws. The NSA now performs many other duties, and in fact is the premier agency within the intelligence network. Today, the NSA receives approximately 75% of the monies allotted to the intelligence community. The old saying, where the money goes, therein the power resides, is true. The director of Central Intelligence today is a figurehead maintained as a public ruse. The primary task of the NSA is still alien communications, but now includes other extraterrestrial projects as well. President Truman had been keeping our allies, including the Soviet Union, informed of the developing alien problem. This had been done in case the aliens turned out to be a threat to the human race. Plans were formulated to defend the Earth in case of invasion. Great difficulty was encountered in maintaining international secrecy. It was decided that an outside group was necessary to coordinate and control international efforts in order to hide the secret from the normal scrutiny of governments by the press. The result was the formation of a secret ruling body which became known as the Bilderberg Group. The group was formed and met for the first time in 1952. They were named after the first publicly known meeting place, the... The Bilderberg Hotel. That public meeting took place in 1954. They were nicknamed the Bilderbergers. The headquarters of this group is in The Hague. The Bilderbergers evolved into a secret world government that now controls everything. The United Nations was then and is now an international joke. Beginning in 1953, a new president occupied the White House. He was a man used to a structured staff organization with a chain...